What started with a virus so small, your eyes couldn't see it. This is about providing a future for humanity. Wir schaffen das. The Commission has decided to fine Google 4.34 billion euros. Questo piano è, è l'occasione della vita. This is Europe's man on the moon moment. We are innovating here and we hope that you like it. L'Europe, d'une force commune d'intervention. Long live Europa. Long live Europe. Vive l'Europe. Welcome to Europe Calling, a series of podcasts brought to you by the European Commission, looking at the politics and policies of the Union today. With me, Stephen Jones. And me, Paul Anderson. And today we're focusing on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The hard realities on the ground as experienced by Ukrainians who've succeeded in fleeing bombardment and siege. The response by the European Union to the emergency relief that Ukrainians have needed in their country and in the neighbouring and nearby countries where millions of refugees have fled to. Medical support, food, water, clothes, safe haven. There are also the wider issues at play here. Sanctions unlike any others before, the question of Europe's dependence on Russian energy supplies and the future defence and security of Europe. A warm welcome to all our listeners and a quick disclaimer. These interviews were recorded prior to news of atrocities by Russian forces around Kyiv and prior to the visit by Commission President Ursula von der Leyen to the Ukrainian capital to express the EU's support for Ukraine. Olena Alexeyenko is a Ukrainian refugee from Bucha, northwest of Kyiv. She arrived recently in Belgium with her two teenage children. What was your immediate reaction, Olena, when Russia invaded Ukraine? What did you do? At the beginning, I was in shock. I didn't know what to do with my children to escape the bombing. Immediately, we turned the basement of our house into a bomb shelter. We moved everything we could from the house down there, and I just sat there with the children, terrified. We thought that it might be over in just a few days, because that's what people were saying that it would be over in a couple of days, that only military locations would be bombed. How did you begin trying to escape from Ukraine? It was very difficult to get to the buses. I don't know how many people were there, maybe 1,200, maybe 1,000 that we counted on the first day. We waited, but then the Russian occupiers would not allow us to leave. The next day, we could go. On the way to the bus, we had to take different roads. We had to change our route twice because of the military hostilities. What were your thoughts at that point? It was very frightening to go in these buses, because everyone said the Russian occupiers were firing at these buses, carrying children and people. But I went at my own risk and decided that if something happened, I would protect my children with my own body. You eventually reached Slovakia on Ukraine's western border, and you then travelled through Europe, through the Czech Republic, Germany and finally to Belgium. How have you found the experience of being in Belgium? It was a wonderful surprise to experience how people have welcomed us here when we arrived in Belgium. I could breathe a sigh of relief, calmly, 
We were welcomed like family by hosts called Pierre and Marie, who have three children of their own. They gave us two rooms. We could all live there peacefully. They fed us and gave us clothing because we arrived with nothing, nothing at all, just the clothes we were wearing. They helped us with filling in forms and documents. They proposed different activities for my children. During the weekend, they did cooking with the children. I really like the attitude of Belgian people towards Ukrainians. They are very kind people. Olena Alexienko, many thanks, and we'll come back to you for some more thoughts before the end of this podcast. Let's turn now to Maciej Popowski, Acting Director General for Neighbourhood and Enlargement Negotiations in the European Commission. Maciej Popowski, what is your assessment of the most urgent emergency and humanitarian priorities in Ukraine, given now that part of the Russian strategy appears to have changed from all-out assault on cities to siege warfare? Reports from Mariupol suggest it's being starved into submission. Actually, we've seen it before. We've seen it in Aleppo, we've seen it in Grozny. So, of course, it means that the humanitarian uh, needs are really pressing. And then there is this huge population of internally displaced people, 6.5 million people on the run in the country, and they need to be looked after. It's actually amazing that given the circumstances, the Ukrainian government is working pretty normally. In a way, they defy all the pre-war uh, cliches about the Ukrainian statehood eh? because they are so robust. We are in touch with the ministries every day and they are very responsive, very uh, agile. So what what's really important is to give them a lifeline. What sort of lifeline? The European Commission, together with the European uh, Investment Bank, we've been providing them with liquidity, with cash, because they need cash, you know, to function normally, to pay pensions, to uh, pay for doctors, etc., um, so we have provided them with what we call macrofinancial assistance, which is a, a loan, but a, a quite an attractive loan uh, of 1.2 billion. So 600 million we've already paid and 600 million is yet to go. And, and the European Investment Bank, have uh, uh, they have provided uh, uh, close to 700 million and we'll top it up with 120 million in, in grants. So that should keep them afloat for a while and then we'll have to think further because the needs are so enormous. How practically is aid being delivered on the ground in Ukraine? Of course, we have to be uh, extremely vigilant. We have a number of uh, hubs, coordination hubs, uh, close to the border. So one is in Poland, in in Rzeszów. There is another one in Slovakia and and another one in in Romania. So everything is going there and it's being channeled into Ukraine. And for the time being, road and rail transport works well. Another... uh, uh, difficult to talk about success stories, but something that is encouraging uh, is the use of the uh, uh, Union Civil Protection Mechanism. So this is this network of member states uh, plus uh, countries like Norway and Turkey, and they deliver goods uh, which which Ukrainians now need, like power generators, uh, medical devices, even digital equipment. You can call it a big humanitarian Amazon. You can order whatever you need, and it's being delivered in no time. 
Right at the very beginning of this war, there were deep misgivings about Russia's honouring of humanitarian corridors. Is there anything that the European Union is doing, or can do, to shore up those humanitarian corridors, given potential needs in the future, and also the vast number of internally displaced people that you were referring to earlier on? It's a trickle, not a stream. Um, people leaving from Mariupol and, and, and other places. Usually, whenever the Russians allow for humanitarian corridors, they close them themselves the day after. And I think it's it's done on purpose just to destabilize people uh, even more. But then actually the, uh, the reception in the EU and the movement of people, the temporary protection that they've been offered by, by the EU is, is working very well. The Commission has made a, a very uh, uh, ambitious proposal of... of um, um, putting together a, a big financial package for frontline member states like Poland and Romania to be able to, to cater for the needs of, of the refugees in schooling and healthcare because the, the, the numbers are so uh, uh, so huge. And it's working. Yeah? So um, people are being, being looked after. Maciej Popowski, many thanks indeed and do please stay with us. A reminder that you can get tons of information in Ukrainian, Russian and English on various EU websites. Key in EU Stands with Ukraine or EU Solidarity with Ukraine to get the EU's main information and news destinations. We also invite you to have a look at the support group for Ukraine set up by the Commission and the website of the EU delegation to Ukraine, which holds a trove of information. Next, let's hear from Sevolod Chentsov, Ukrainian ambassador to the EU, on the Ukrainian perspective to some of these issues. Ambassador, a warm welcome to you. What's your view, first of all, on how the EU has been supporting Ukraine so far? EU in general is doing really a lot, and this is tremendous help. Uh, also, sanctions, a fifth package of sanctions, both sectoral but personal, including companies, what is important in that regard, that there are no loopholes in the regime, like it was the case uh, with the Crimean sanctions and Russians and also European companies, they manage to circumvent and find their ways to get the, the machinery and other products and even investments to Crimea. And my understanding is that both EU and uh, partners like United States, they're looking into that issue. So on one hand, to reinforce the sanctions, but on the other, to make sure they work properly. You mentioned another package of EU sanctions, but has the EU sanctions regime against Russia gone far enough? What more could be done on reducing, for example, the import of Russian oil and gas? Definitely, there is a space to work harder, to hit harder Russian economy. And we are talking about disconnection of all Russian banking system from SWIFT. We are talking about energy products like oil and gas. We are talking about Russian ports. We are talking about broader maritime industry. We are talking about road transport. So we need to disconnect Russia from the rest of the world. Let's talk about military assistance from NATO and the EU. Is this help enough for Ukrainian forces to hold the Russian military at bay? We understand there is an Article 5. NATO is not ready to, to get engaged directly with Russia in a military conflict. But we need this help, either military help, and we, we ask to close the skies, or at least to provide us with serious weapons that we are able to stop this uh, assault from the air, from the sea, so that 
we are ready with our forces to withstand this increasing pressure because Russia tries to engage Belarus, Russia tries to bring new resources from Russia. They are, they are not waiting. They are, they are getting prepared for the new massive assault. So that's why we, we need uh, this support right now. Are you worried that as the conflict drags on, the EU's collective will could be undermined by some member states whose relationship with Russia is stronger than others? This is a moment of, of truth. It's a moment of black and white now for many member states, including those who are more dependent on, on, on Russia, to make their choice. Because Ukraine is suffering, but suffering not only defending Ukraine, but defending all European Union, right? And EU and member states uh, have to sacrifice some things, to sacrifice their comfort, to look for alternatives, to work hard, but not just to build the wall saying, no, it's non-starter, uh, it will be too difficult. Yes, it is difficult, but they have to do it. Ukraine has made a formal application to become a member of the EU, but that's been your aspiration as a country for many years. Are you confident the mood across the EU has changed sufficiently now in your favour on this issue? It's being processed within the system already, so the necessary decision have been taken. So now it was moved from one table in the Council to, to the table in the European Commission. Uh, we expect that European Commission will prepare its opinion about Ukraine's readiness to become a member. This is an important stage. But what is peculiar, normally, it takes even to move between those two tables, the, the paper, several months, sometimes almost a year. Sometimes they, they never move the, 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 those papers. But now uh, it's days and weeks rather than months and years. And my feeling is that there is a readiness in the European Commission to move really fast and work hard. Ambassador Sevelodchensov, thank you for sharing your perspectives. Now, Mati Masikas is head of the EU delegation in Ukraine, which has recently moved back to Kiev after operating for several weeks from just across the border in Poland. Could you paint a picture for us, first of all, Ambassador, of what your day-to-day -day work is like at the moment? Days are long and intense, of course, but obviously the best that we can currently have. A part of this growing and increasingly tight-knit community, and it helps us to coordinate our international support efforts to Ukraine. How are you managing the distribution of humanitarian aid? Humanitarian assistance, despite of all the difficulties, are delivered all over Ukraine, even in hard-to-reach areas. The EU's humanitarian aid is provided and distributed by trusted humanitarian partners like NGOs, our Ukrainian partners and the UN agencies. They have good expertise and experience. How have you adapted the work that you were doing in Ukraine before the war to meet the challenges that Russia's aggression has caused? Until Russia's unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Ukraine, the European Union was predominantly focusing its assistance on supporting the government in its ambitious reform agenda, which is based very much on the association agreement with the EU that there's a full-scale invasion 
the European Union has immediately taken measures in order to allow for repurposing most of its interventions. About 100 million euro is already available through ongoing projects. Immediate emergency assistance like basic goods, food, shelter and sanitation kits and equipment, but also protective equipment, helmets, bulletproof jackets are being provided. Farmers are supported to secure in the coming cropping season. We want to make sure that Ukraine can replenish its food stocks and enhance its capacity to export agricultural products. Issues such as protection of the civilian population is already also addressed, and uh, in particular children affected by the war are at the core of our attention. And what is the EU doing to support the government in Ukraine? The EU also continues to support the government's resilience through technical assistance and specific equipment. This has allowed the government to keep most of its ministries and agencies in a working mode. Cooperation with local administration has been incre increasingly strengthened. They are playing a crucial role in coordinating this dispatch and distribution of humanitarian assistance. Do you see any avenue for a ceasefire and advancing peace talks? If so, what? We support all genuine and meaningful efforts to bring an end to the war. And we recall our position. Russia must stop its aggression and withdraw all its forces from Ukraine. Respect Ukraine's independence, sovereignty, territorial integrity within its internationally recognized borders. How important has it been to have so many volunteers from all over the EU supporting Ukrainian refugees who've been forced to flee to bordering countries, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia and Romania principally? The mobilization of Europeans coming to help their brothers and sisters escaping the Russian invasion is unprecedented. People are coming to the border to help. Some as part of various organizations, some privately, on their own. Some stay a few days, others stay for weeks. We are observing a comprehensive, truly popular movement of solidarity. And, of course, also further away from the EU's border. People open their homes to Ukrainians. Mati Masikas, EU ambassador to Ukraine, thanks a lot for your time. Now let's turn our attention to economic questions. And Gennady Chizhikov, your president of the Ukrainian Chamber of Commerce and Industry in Kiev, currently in Belgium. First, tell us what effect this war is having on businesses in Ukraine. Figures, it's a little bit different, but in general, we need to understand 30% of Ukrainian business stopped, nearby 50% working partly time to time, etc. Military activities are in 10 regions. These regions are very important for economy of Ukraine. This is industrial region, focus on the uh, agriculture sector. A lot of experts uh, estimated their input of this region in the general economy of like 50% of GDP. You can imagine 50% of GDP. It's obviously a devastating effect on the Ukrainian economy, but what sort of knock-on effect is that having beyond Ukraine? Ukraine always was uh, and is, is very much an uh, export-oriented country. 
Uh, we are number four in the world, like agriculture sector. We played a very important role in the steel industries in many hours. And for example, in the agriculture sector, we produced minimum five times more than we needed for uh, for Ukraine. And that's why Ukraine is not only a breadbasket of Europe, but probably it's a breadbasket of all the world. And we know how many countries depend on the, our activity. First of all, the country of the Northern Africa, Middle East, and many other countries who uh, depends on our uh, corn, wheat, sunflower oil. How effective do you think efforts have been to discourage Western businesses from continuing to operate in Russia? Do you think the message has got through enough yet? I ask in my friends from abroad, businesses. Where's the deadline when you decided to uh, leave your Russia? You needed occupied one country, two countries, three countries. You, you still didn't understand. First sign was 2008 Georgia. Second one, 2014 Ukraine, Crimea, uh, Donbass. 22, it's a real aggression, full aggression of Russia against Ukraine. And some people still can just see, no, we needed to find some compromise. This is not a war, this is a special operation. Guys, I will buy the ticket to you. Please take a train, go to Kiev, go to the Mariupol and see. And after where come back and say, no, this is a special operation and we needed to find some agreement. No. And what's your vision for the economy of Ukraine when the war is over? Honestly speaking, in Ukraine, all Ukrainians absolutely sure. First, we will be winner in general. Second, uh, Ukraine will be very popular, like example, who protected the peace, protected democracy. And to be, to work and to cooperate with Ukraine, it will be very, not only popular, but it will be very important. If you would like to do something, you knock into Ukraine. Can I work with you? If you don't have a business in Ukraine, nobody knows you. This is my answer to you. We, I absolutely believe in the bright future of uh, Ukraine. We lost a lot, but we will find a lot. First of all, friends and support of all the world. Gennady Chizhikov, thank you for your comments. Maciej Popovsky, Acting Deputy Director General of DG NIA, thanks for staying with us. Relations with the EU's neighbours is your daily work, and Ukraine, which has an association agreement with the EU ahead of what it hopes will become full membership, is one of the biggest neighbours. How much does Kiev's current response reflect the EU's values, given that historical memory from the Second World War is beginning to fade, but will nonetheless forever be the basis on which the Union was founded, the spirit of never again now being rubbished by Russia? Ukraine is standing up for Europe core values and founding principles here, is it not? True, true. And, you know, we should, I mean, we, we do realize, but we should also be vocal about it, that the Ukrainians are fighting and dying for our values. I mean, it's it's serious. And this, this level of motivation is simply incredible. And I think that's exactly the opposite of what Putin wanted to achieve. Uh, it's the consolidation of the one hand Ukrainian statehood, and on the, end, on the other hand, uh, the, uh, so the consolidation of Ukrainian society, uh, whatever language they speak and wherever they come from. On the question of sanctions, what is your assessment of their bite so far? We do see impact. Half of the assets of the Russian central bank frozen. So they don't have access. It's 300 billion euros, uh, roughly. And then, of course, the different measures uh, restricting trade, cutting off Russian banks from SWIFT, or most of them. And you can see it 
I think that that many Russians, uh, in particular in the big cities, uh, were in a state of shock hmm? when, for instance, the credit card companies just decided to withdraw. So uh, there's a lot of uh, examples of that kind. And of course, uh, now we are really determined to reduce and phase out our dependency on the Russian uh, gas and oil. It will not happen overnight, but the Commission made a proposal to reduce it by two-thirds, I mean, when it comes to gas, by the end of the year, which is huge. We certainly have to do it because we don't want to continue funding the Russian war chest. By the way, it was also quite interesting to see um, how the myth of the Russian invincible Russian army basically fell apart. And and the impact of the sanctions will be felt there as well, uh, because they don't have access to modern technology. What if cracks appear, as many say they did, after sanctions were imposed following the annexation of Crimea in 2014? The sanctions need to be sustainable in the long run, and we have to make sure that there is no circumvention. Um, and I think so far, so good. Actually, colleagues dealing with sanctions in the Commission tell us that there is overcompliance. So a lot of companies that don't didn't have to leave Russia did so for political and to some extent also moral reasons. And, and if you decided to stay and continue business as usual, in, in a way you become a pariah. Let me ask you about the issue of Ukraine's aspirations to join the European Union. You mentioned credit, you mentioned gratitude that the European Union owes Ukraine for defending our common values. To what extent does that extend to finally giving Ukraine a very clear and unambiguous perspective on becoming a member of the European Union? Now the ball is in the Commission's court, so we were asked to prepare an opinion on the application. But we know that um, it's not business as usual. But we're not starting from scratch. Ukraine is a good example. They've um, uh, they've been implementing their association agreements together with the free trade agreement entered into force in 2016. So we are working on it now, and it's uh, as a matter of priority. Maciej Popowski, thank you for your comments. And at this stage, as we come to the end of this special podcast on Ukraine... Let's give the last word back to Olena Alekseyenko, who fled Ukraine with her two teenage sons and is settling into a new life with a host family in Belgium. Olena, what does the future hold for you? Do you ever think that far ahead? I don't know what what to say. Well, I'm still in shock over here this week. I need a moral space for what I have gone through. Many people have said to me, I understand what you're going through. But no, you don't understand. You weren't there in the middle of it all. You didn't see it. You didn't hear it. You didn't feel it. You didn't stay in a room where it was only 8 degrees. You didn't have to place furniture in front of your windows so the bullets wouldn't hit you. You don't understand these things. And for the moment, I don't know what is the future for me. But I know I want to return to my land to rebuild my state. Are you able to receive news about your loved ones still in Ukraine? Yes, I'm still in contact with family and friends who are still in Ukraine. I'm also in contact with my grandmother, who's 82 years old and is an invalid and can only move around the house. 
So the neighbors are looking after her. She said I should take the children and leave Ukraine. She lives in Busha, but is in Kiev now, as it is quieter there. People went where they could, to different places. Well, that's it from us for now. Our thanks to Olena Alexienko, who you've just heard, to Vsevolod Chensov, Ukraine's ambassador to the EU, Ambassador Mati Masikas, head of the EU's delegation in Ukraine. To Maciej Popovsky, acting director general in the commission, and to Ukrainian businessman Gennady Chizhikov. You can listen to this special edition on Ukraine and all previous editions of Europe Calling on all good podcast platforms. But for now, from me, Paul Anderson. And from me, Stephen Jones. Goodbye. Goodbye. What started with a virus so small, your eyes couldn't see it. This is about providing a future for humanity. You're shopping us. The Commission has decided to fine Google 4.34 billion euros. Questo piano è l'occasione della vita. This is Europe's man on the moon moment. We are innovating here and we hope that you like it. L'Europe, d'une force commune d'intervention. Long live Europe. Long live Europe. Vive l'Europe.